Welcome to Spiniverse. What's up, everybody? It's Parshat Sav, which means we have more sacrifices coming this week. Uh, I'm Rabbi Josh, director of Goucher Hillel, he, him, pronouns. My name is Leah. I'm Goucher Hillel co-president, she, her pronouns. Uh, hello, I'm Ryan. I am one of the co-chairs of the Goucher Hillel Shabbat committee, she, her pronouns. Okay, guys. So last week we kind of covered some sacrifices. I, you had a lot of great opinions. I really liked some of your thoughts there. Uh, you know, the golden calf and the, the retribution and, you know, the whole thought of what this might have meant to our ancestors versus today. I appreciated that you guys were able to hold some multiple perspectives and thinking of that. So we're going to get a little bit more into it today. I'm sparing us some of the details and getting to kind of one sacrifice in particular that has kind of a theme and then kind of talking a little bit about the dedication of the priesthood and uh, the fancy swag that Aaron and his sons get to wear. Maybe not the right term, but, you know, set me on where I should be. They're totally on fleek in their day. I know that's not even something you say. Now I'm just making everybody cringe. All right. So... <laughs> Uh, we've got, uh, we've got some offerings. I've got some off. We've got some offerings to make. There are many different offerings that people would offer in the sacrificial system that for different things. Some would be for, if you did something wrong, that would be like a sin offering. Another one would be like the, the daily offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering we talked a little bit about. So this one we're actually going to talk about today a little bit is the peace offering, which is also called the fellowship offering that you would offer. And there's like three different forms that this takes. One is like the Thanksgiving and the or a vow offering or a free will offering. Unlike the other ones, which are like, you have to do this, you have to sacrifice this. These are totally like voluntary. People have to do them if they, they, they don't have to do anything. They can do them if they want to. So, and you offer an animal without blemish according to your status, your economic status, which is interesting. Um, and then it signifies thankfulness for a specific blessing. So um, I'll just stop there. Your thoughts on a thankfulness offering. Uh, this is something I kind of mentioned last week, but I feel like a lot of the things you're thanking God for like might be animals. Cause a lot of the time in that case, it does serve as like food for the people and for giving them the different things they need. And I feel like, it's like, thanks for giving me this so I could have it for like food or whatever I need from it, but I'm just going to kill it now and give it back to you. <laughs> just, I, it doesn't quite a line for me. I don't know this. It just confuses. I think something big that really confuses me about sacrifices at times is that like when God created the world, obviously God creating animals was a big part of that from like the very first beginning of the Torah obviously so sometimes it feels a little weird to me that for like people created by God to show their appreciation for God to sacrifice other things that God created yeah and you know that I, just doesn't quite line up for me in my brain I got you and you know the place where that's the most dark is actually not in this portion but if you look back in Genesis so Noah and the ark right so Noah takes two of every species in the ark seven of every kosher species on the ark um, seven pairs, by the way, of every kosher species on the ark. And then this whole thing, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And then it's like a year until Noah finally gets off of the ark. And what does Noah do when Noah gets off the ark to say thank you to God for having survived all of that and keeping all these species alive? 
he sacrifices some animals. <laughs> so to your point, Leah, like, you know, this seems to be like part of a human thing that happened back then that I, I also feel some sense of like, is self-defeating, you know, right? Like, what are we doing here in sacrificing these animals? What's it showing? What's it, you know, and is it, is it really making God more satisfied or is it kind of counter to the point of what God's trying to do? Um, Rashi, so I'm going to offer Rashi's thing and then we'll maybe your takes. So Rashi, a commentator from the 11th century says the following on, on this, about this Thanksgiving offering. If a person brings it on an account of a matter that requires Thanksgiving, on account of a miraculous deliverance that was wrought for him, as being, for instance, one of those who have made a sea voyage or traveled in the wilderness or had been kept in prison, or if he had been sick and was now healed, all of whom are bound to offer thanksgiving, since it is written with reference to them, a verse from Psalms, let them offer thanksgiving to the Lord for God's goodness, for God's wonderful works to the children of men. Yeah, so that's kind of giving a little bit more of a context of, of all of this. Um, this whole sense of, of Thanksgiving. So let's think about Thanksgiving. Uh, this is a Jewish Thanksgiving way. It's not known in November. It's anytime something happens to you. And I think it kind of actually also connects a little bit with this um, thing that we do on Friday nights, Leah, that you brought to us, the Shehechianu moments, I think about the idea of like God given moments and um, what we do in order to like mark something that's in this day and age, back then they did this right in this day and age, in our day and age, what, is there a is there like a a cognate and if so like what do you think people should be offering and what do people offer when they feel some sense of gratitude or thankfulness that's not just about another person but it's about like God or the universe giving you something or a chance or protection? Um, I think like obviously a huge theme in Judaism is tikkun olam and I think when you're thanking God for like taking care of the world and giving you the things you need a really good way to show that gratitude is like through action like obviously there are a lot of prayers and that kind of thing that involve expressing your gratitude to god for all different kinds of things but i think by taking care of the things that god has given us is a really important way to show gratitude and appreciation because a lot of the time like when people don't take care of the earth and that kind of thing you're just being like well i don't really care about this thing that you worked really hard to create and give me the things i need but like whatever so i think kind of showing appreciation through action is really important because that's also part of taking care of other people. I agree. Um, I talked a little bit about it in my Devar and it wasn't necessarily about this portion, but like the idea of giving thanks sort of like Leah said, through creation and action, um, being thankful and then sort of taking that and using it as a driving force in how like you treat others and how you interact with the world like it's almost sort of like the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you um like be thankful and thank like be thankful and then like also be thanked do you know what i mean pay it forward kind of yeah pay it forward Yeah, there is something to that. Um, so this this next little piece I brought here is kind of a deep cut into the Jewish prayer service. So I'll give it some context uh, because, okay, so we have the Amidah, which is like the central Jewish prayer. 
Um, and everybody's supposed to say like a silent version of it to themselves. And then there's like a repetition of the Amidah um, that like the leader of the service is saying. And there's some parts in that where everybody's just like, basically, basically you can just kind of listen. You don't have to like say the words again because you already did it in your own silent Amidah. But there are some points during the silent Amidah when people who are like going through the repetition are supposed to act actively like participate. Um, and so this kind of talks about this one place called the, the Modim of the rabbis. Um, and uh, you know, this is like being like small print in most sea doors. And it's basically like a prayer of Thanksgiving. Modim comes from the same like uh, word as Hodeh to thank. Um, and uh, so this talks about this. Anybody, would either of you want to read this one it's from Rabbi Doug Zeldin? I can. Go for it. Um, Rabbi Doug Zeldin. There is a beautiful explanation about when the Chazan repeats the Amidah aloud and says the Modim prayer, and the congregation recites softly a prayer known as the Rabbi's Modim. Why is that? It is because the cantor can recite aloud all the blessings in the Amidah and be our agent for such prayers as forgive us, heal us, bless us with a good year, and so forth. With all our pleas, the cantor or Baal Tefillah can be our public messenger and say the blessing for us as we answer amen. However, there is one thing that no one else can say for us. We must say it for ourselves. The, that one thing is thank you. Hoda'ah has to come from ourselves. No one can be our agent to say thank you. This is the reason for the rabbi's motim. Any thoughts on that? Can somebody else say thank you for you? I know, have you had that happen? Yeah, like somebody will come and say, oh, I ran into XYZ and they said to thank you for something I did, whatever, um, which is sort of the vibe this gives me. But I think there's something still really nice about that. It's not the same as if like somebody saying it to your face, but it's also, I think like, I'd rather have that than almost no thanks. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think I think the more things that can be done in person, the better. But it's nice to have like an option as a for like a conduit if you can't do it in a timely manner. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think something that stood out to me it was one with like yes with with the idea of like no one else can really say thank you for you because I think that's really part of gratitude and authentic gratitude is really saying it yourself and in person and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes people do really like backwards ways to try and say thank you, but it's really important to show people who do things for you that you appreciate them because people don't really want to be like taken advantage of. I think what also stood out to me was the comparison in terms of apologizing in terms of needing to be direct when you apologize and kind of be the one to apologize when you do something wrong. So it kind of be like, with thank you, there's a difference between going up to someone and being like, you know, I really appreciate it. It's not lost on me that you really did this to help me. Um, especially maybe someone didn't realize it or they didn't do it because they wanted a thank you or anything, but they still deserve your appreciation. Um, versus like, if you say someone else like, oh, that was really nice of her. Maybe tell her I say thank you if you see her around. It's not really direct or going up to someone and being like, 
oh yeah, thanks for that, or like, whatever. There's a difference between saying thank you and actually thanking someone and showing that you're grateful for what they did. Because one is like words and one is an actual like message. Yeah. Yeah, and I think probably, you know, there's something that comes back to that. And again, you know, hard for us to judge how our ancestors saw things, but I, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean that it still can't perplex us, this whole sacrifice thing. But the idea that there would be a voluntary something that people wanted to do to make it real, you know, like, I think that, I think what part of what you guys are saying is you can relate, we can relate to that, but like, there's a way to make it authentic and real and coming from you. It's like, if you say to a kid, like, say thank you to grandma for that present. Thank you, grandma. Like it doesn't really ring the same way, although maybe for grandma, it's okay. You know, but um, you know, if it really means something when it comes from somebody um, to say for them to really say thank you, uh, as always to me. Cool. All right. We're getting our priestly swag on. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, going down, going down here. And I think you're up for this uh, lovely passage here, Leviticus 8, 5 to 13. Um, Moses said to the community, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him, girding him with the decorated band with which he tied it to him. He put the breastpiece on him and put into the breastpiece, the Urim Thummim. And he set the headdress on his head, and on the headdress in front, he put the gold frontlet, the holy diadem, diadem, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, thus consecrating them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar, all its utensils and the labor with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Moses then brought Aaron's sons forward, clothed them in tunics, girded them with sashes, and wound turbans upon them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay. Um, uh, You know, what do you think about this whole ritual? clothing and anointing we're going to include these in our next swag box josh forget <laughs> yeah, the hoodie we're including we're including this yeah goucher hillel themed uh breastplate and turban for sure coming up yeah, absolutely 100%. and anointing oil for sure um it sounds kind of messy to me i don't know about you guys does anybody else get the like you know like vampire movies when like they shake the holy water at like vampires Anybody else getting the same vibes of like, just like an aggressive person shaking oil? I'm not I'm sure it wasn't aggressive, but like, that's what I picture. Just like. I get more of a gentle pour, but like, you know, add a little olive oil and something like that. Just, um, yeah. And by the way, the word anoint in Hebrew is uh, Mashiach. So you've heard the term Messiah or Mashiach. That really means anointed one, person who is anointed, like somebody who's like been like assigned to have a particular duty. So I guess it's like an interesting way to kind of set them apart. I was trying to think of some like modern comparison, um, but I couldn't really think of one the same way other than like 
I guess people dress up to go to work, but that's more a professionalism thing than like actually because they want to be separated from the rest of the people and they want to like stand out. Um, Judges, I might say, you know, wear robes. Uh, yeah. Catholic priests. Um, Therapists in England, same thing with judges, you know, who wear wigs and, and robes and things like that. So okay. yeah, there's, there's some roles. Doctors and scrubs or coats and things like that. There are some ways in which we still do have like clothing that signifies. Right. You know, but some of them are like more because like a doctor wears scrubs because they're working in a hospital. Not, not to make some like bold fashion statement. Um, me, me, unless they're wearing like really trendy scrubs with like puppies or something on them. Um, but I don't know. I just thought it was interesting because it's really kind of their way of like trying to set these people apart and mark them as having this special role, which like, I like the example you gave of judges actually. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funky. In some way they're kind of like kings. Um Yeah, I don't know if I, like, I understand why, but it's also, I don't necessarily enjoy the idea of, like, having somebody be a middleman between me and God. Yeah. I agree. Like, so, like, in the, in the, okay, so, to go back to what we're talking about, like, with thanking somebody, like, I don't want to have to go through somebody to, like, thank God. I just want to be able to, like, thank God in my own way. Um, whatever that is. And to sort of have these people as like, like they're the ones who are special to God or whatever. Like they're the ones who are like been anointed by holy stuff. It's just like, I don't, I, in any religion, I don't always enjoy the idea of somebody being like having the idea of them being closer to God. Like they're closer than the average person. This just like never sat right with me. So this is a little bit that and just like, yeah, I don't want to have to go through somebody to connect to God. I don't want somebody to be like, I don't want somebody to pray to God for me. Thank God for me. I want to do it by myself. I think that especially, I really like that point, Ryan. And at least to me, it kind of especially sticks out in Judaism because it is supposed to be like the people and God. No one is some like kind of God person or that kind of thing. So sometimes I do kind of wonder, it's like, it's like when they make sacrifices to the priests, I'm a little confused by that because it just kind of seems like going against things that, that the message has been in the past of it really just being like the people and their connection to God. Yeah. And there are some ways in which why we don't have the priesthood, there's like some vestiges of it still and in, in modern religious service, the Kohen getting the first Aliyah in some synagogues, by the way, like some have done away with that. Reform synagogues for the most part have done away with that for similar kinds of reasons you guys are bringing up. Um, there's some some places in Orthodox synagogues where the priests will do a blessing. They'll bless all the people on the holidays, including like Passover coming up. And the Levites, that's me, uh, get to wash their hands and their feet because that's a fun thing to do. Um, so you know, there are some ways in which some of this stuff still does stick around, but I think that there's actually, there's been a, uh, centuries ago, not just now, millennia ago, there was a 
real Jewish movement to kind of do away with the priesthood at its centrality of Judaism and the rabbis in the movements right around the time of the second temple's ending um, were, you know, in their way trying to sort of move in that direction. Um, and I think that we, as the inheritors of rabbinic Judaism, certainly have a lot of that in our own like religious DNA. So when we read a text like this, not only reading it from modern viewpoint, we also are like, well, that's not the way Judaism works now, because it doesn't work now. If it still worked like that, we would be more, this would be more familiar to us, you know? All right. I was gonna say, I like the idea of having like priests and rabbis as like spiritual advisors and as like a confidant who understands the texts maybe a little bit more than I do because they've built their entire career like off of studying and understanding texts. But I don't necessarily like the idea of like them being a central figure and or like the conduit, pass through. Yeah, pass through. That's right. Yeah, no, and you, you talked about it with the thank you part earlier, you know, somebody who does that. Well, do you really need somebody to do that for you? Once you can do it yourself. I think that, you know, goes back to that point. All right. Next week's Torah portion is Shemini. It deals with some kosher laws, and that's going to be interesting. So we'll get to that, especially my favorite part, the kosher birds. Um, so sneak preview cliffhanger for next week. Which birds are kosher and which ones aren't? We'll have to find out then. Thank you for joining us for Spinniverse. Chag Sameach, happy Passover, everybody, and we'll see you next week.